0: friends, Christy Teji here, your host for the Productive Passions podcast. Let me ask you, is there something different you dream of doing, but don't know where to begin? If you're feeling suffocated, anxious, or you feel there's something different calling you, come along with me for candid conversations with people who have embarked on a journey to put their passions to work for them. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Life is too short to stay stuck. Hi, friends. In today's episode, we have the privilege of speaking with someone who breaks the mold of your typical law enforcement officer. Our guest is not only a seasoned sheriff's commander, but also a stand-up comedian. Yep, you heard that right. Meet Vinny Montez, a man with a badge and a sense of humor that could disarm even the toughest situations. As a law enforcement officer, he's seen firsthand the things most of us only see in our worst nightmares. As you may have heard, being a first responder can take a toll on one's mental health. Vinny shares candidly his story of grappling with the stress and trauma inherent in the line of duty. Vinny found counseling helped him better manage that stress and trauma. But that's not all. He discovered an unexpected ally in comedy, using it as a tool to release the pent-up stress and trauma that often accompany the badge. Beyond the badge, Vinny is deeply passionate about serving his community, not just as an officer, but also as a comedian. His comedic talent serves as more than just entertainment. It's an instrument of service for several charities close to his heart. John Wayne said, Courage is being scared to death. And saddling up anyway. Vinny says to be successful, you have to be willing to take a risk. Be like John and Vinny take the risk, even if it scares you to death. Let today's episode inspire you to embrace the courage within, take risks, and saddle up for whatever challenges lie ahead. Join us as we uncover the remarkable story of Vinny Montez, sheriff's commander, stand up comedian an advocate for mental wellness. Vinny Montez, thank you so much for joining me. It is really a thrill to have you here. Welcome to the Productive Passions podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Let me ask you, can you tell the audience, what is it that you do for a living?
1: I have two full-time jobs. Currently, I'm a police officer. I've been a cop for the last 25 years. Started my 26th year. When I'm not doing that, I am hustling as a, Stand-up comedian traveling all over the country doing stand-up comedy, which was a derivative from doing police work. It's really what helped save my mental health because of all the things that I've experienced over the course of my career.
0: Sure. Now, you said you're traveling all over the country to do your shows. Where have you gone? Where are some of the places that you've been?
1: Oh, my gosh. Los Angeles, Orlando, Florida, a ton of stuff in Ohio. I've toured twice now with the Gary Sinise Foundation. So we did shows in Alaska for all the military bases. In November, I think it was, we were in Texas and Arizona doing shows for Fort Huachuca, Fort West, Texas, and also for Del Rio Station for Border Patrol. And then I've performed for all over the country for different law enforcement organizations, uh, cops organization, you name it, I've done it. And I'm part of a group called HTV, Humanize the Badge. And there's a group of online people who are part of that group. To really try to humanize what we do and just give a different side, just not what you would hear the normal rhetoric in the media about law enforcement, but but truly how we see it in the job. And yeah, so you name a state. I probably have not performed in Maine or maybe some of the smaller states in the original 13 colonies, but that's pretty much it.
0: Do you want to go there?
1: Oh, sure. I would love to do a show in Delaware. I haven't done Delaware. I haven't done Maine, but I've done everything else up in the Northeast.
0: Let me see who I know. Maybe I can hook you up there. And you guys, you heard it here. Vinny wants to come to those smaller Northeast states. So let's get him there. Next time that you're in Orlando, though, Vinny, you got to call me because I want to come to one of your live shows. Now, I will tell you, I did my homework. And so I've watched some of your performances. And the last one I saw, I'm still laughing about it. I was trying to find it this morning. I couldn't find it, but maybe you could tell the audience about it. I believe you're doing Chris Farley Saturday Night Live skit. He's the motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah,
1: Matt Foley. In a yeah. van.
0: Can you tell us, like, where were you that you did that?
1: Was that the one where I did it on duty or was that the one where I was actually on stage?
0: Nope, you were on duty, which I yeah, saw. So
1: that was at the University of Colorado. I was actually working at the time. They have this area where a lot of the bougie kind of boosters party before and after the game, and Someone's after the there,
0: game, I, never with bougie. I'm not <laughs> bougie, and, so we'll uh, talk about what that looks like.
1: They always try to clear that area after the game, and they send the security people to go do it. But there were some people that were like lingering too long, so like, all right, the cops got to go through. But it's important, like in 2024, 2023, to really understand the audience that you're engaging with. And so I didn't want to make us look like the bad guys. So I was like, how can I get these people out of here, but maybe make a little bit of fun? So I like to know a little bit of Chris Farley so people understand. And so I went at it with that. And when you watch that video, you see everybody that's probably over 40 that really understands Chris Farley in that area of comedy. And I did the act out and I'm like, you guys need to put down your beard, start heading for the door. And people were just like laughing. And I'm like, if you don't understand, you know, comply with my instructions, you're going to be living in a van. And I did the tagline. You're going to be living in a van out by the river. So everybody gave a round of applause. They thought it was really cool, I think, with the approach. And a lot of times, just like anything else in life, you just have to be creative. It would have probably had a way different response. I'm like, all right, everybody, put your beers down. It's just how you handle things. So I chose to apply a little bit of a comedic style to it, and I got the compliance, and It made a lot of people laugh. And then I shared it on the internet and it went viral. So it's just been crazy.
0: If somebody wanted to see that, where can they find that? Because I couldn't find it again this morning.
1: It's all on my social media. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, it should all be on all the platforms. I don't think it's on YouTube. It might be on YouTube, but I don't know for sure.
0: Anyway, I would highly recommend people watch it because it's a lot of fun. And what I loved about it is exactly what you talked about. Instead of going in and be like, all right, guys, you've been asked to leave. Get out of here. Yeah. You went in and you do this funny thing, and I did watch the people there, and they were all laughing. And it seems like you got cooperation.
1: Oh yeah, you for did sure. That. And the thing about it, it's hard to be angry at people. It's hard to be mad when you're laughing. And so, what makes us laugh? One of the triggers for laughter is familiarity. So, all those people who are resonated. Now, there's a few people in that video also who are like, "Oh my gosh, who is this guy? <laughs> I don't even know what he's referring to." That's fine, but the group that was. I was going after The demographic I was going after there was the era that knows Chris Farley. And that was the majority of the group. And I really got what I wanted out of it. It's connecting with people, finding where that connection point is. I just knew that would resonate with them. and So it was good. It was a great time. And I would do it again if I had the opportunity.
0: Oh, I'd love to be there. I probably won't be, but I'd love to see that in person. When did you begin to notice that you had this knack for infusing humor into your work? Just lighten the feeling, the situation.
1: I don't know when I really realized that I had that skill and ability. I lost my father right when I became a police officer. And growing up, my dad was the center of the show. Everywhere we went, people wanted to be around him. He always made people feel good. So I was able to watch that and it was able to be modeled in front of me. My mom and dad don't come from a very... Um, strong educational background, but the street smarts, both of them have and the ability for them to connect with people, especially my dad was something that literally will never escape me as long as I'm alive. And just watching the dynamic way people, what we call it selling tamales. So if he'd be, if we go out somewhere, we'd have a group interaction, like maybe they'd go to a party or something. We'd be in the car, my mom, a younger brother and I would be in the car waiting for my dad and we'd be like, where's dad at? And my mom would always say, well, he's inside selling tamales, which means he had to touch base with everybody shake hands, hey, we're leaving, how's it going, hug, whatever it was going to be before we actually made it out of there. Oftentimes, it took us 20 minutes to finally depart from where we're, wherever we were at, just because dad was selling tamales still inside. And I think that I watched that and I learned to emulate that as I got older. Mm-hmm. And then when I became a police officer, I think my first few years, honestly, were struggling inside the jail. When I got hired as a sheriff's deputy, I, I worked my first few years in the jail. And when well, you're young, you, you got, got that badge on, you're, 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 you're trying to feel it out. And it wasn't that I didn't possess those skills, but I was a little bit like, I felt like I had to prove myself. You don't understand the dynamic of how to carry that authority. And as I learned, I had a good sergeant, this old school Vietnam vet, sergeant named Ross Martinez, and he really put his size nine and a half in my rear end a lot. It taught me a lot of the principles of actually good leadership and how to be a good deputy to inmates and understand that dynamic and interaction. And by the time I left there and came to the street, my ability to really interact with people in a positive note really became better. And then I'll tell you what, it's like anything else. You're doing your podcast, anything you become really good at, you just got to do a lot of it. So over the years, the last 25, this is the start of my 26th year in law enforcement. I've really honed in on that skill of being able to read people's situations and understand if I'm connecting or not. And I don't care who you put me in front of today, I will either make you laugh or I'll make you Probably feel good inside. And that's not just the people that I work with, but it's the community members at large who I feel like I have a really good reputation and relationship with right now.
0: Yeah, that's apparent. I can see that. One of the things, first of all, I want to say, I think the apple probably does not fall far from the tree in terms of how you describe your dad. I think probably that's where you picked up a lot of that. You talked about, was it Sergeant Martinez?
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: said he talked to you about leadership. What specifically did he teach you that you were able to take away?
1: I remember one of the things he taught me about not grandstanding. We're supposed to be professional all the time. And in the jail, I think you end up going having more use of force incidents than you would on the street. You're dealing with people where there's living situations that are very tumultuous, like people having different backgrounds and you have people that maybe don't agree. and, And it's stressful just being in a jail setting to begin with. When you have fights in those modules and we had direct supervision, so we'd be right inside the modules with the inmates. And there's a lot of tensions. When a fight would happen, you'd have to go in, separate it, take somebody down, or you take them to the other module to separate them. And then afterwards, as a young deputy, you feel the sense, yeah, I did something, I accomplished something. You're talking with the other people you're working with, maybe you give a high five. And the other inmates are still watching this, right? And we did our job and we did it well, but Ross, Sergeant Martinez would pull me aside. He'd be like, listen, man, there's no need for that. If you want to talk with your partners after work or something like that, you're here to do a job. You're not here to grandstand and high five your partners and stuff like that. So the other inmates can feel like there's separation between you and them. You don't have to remind the inmates that you're in charge of them. You don't have to remind them that they know it. But having that mutual respect, I just did my job, but it's not personal. That needs to be there and just having a calming presence and not making people who are already on edge inside of the facility more on edge because I'm bringing my own personal business to work or maybe I had a bad day. I got to leave that at the door and make sure that my job is to make sure that module is safe. And when I'm doing an effective job, the people in that, regardless if they're inmates or not, they feel comfortable when I'm on duty for that. That's the goal is to keep safety in the facility, keep safety for them. And I couldn't lose sight of that. So I feel like that mentorship all the time. And I'm also high speed, low drag. I was really overzealous. Oh my gosh, I want to understand that dynamic. You can be passionate, but it's got to be controlled. You got to be professional. So I really, and Ross would always make sure his boots were shined. He looked sharp. He talked to people with the utmost respect again, like a father figure to me because my dad was already gone by then. But Ross was filling that role of that leadership and that mentorship. And I think people have asked me before, how'd you get to what you're doing today? And I said, it's not because of me. I've put a lot of effort in, but there's been a lot of people who've taken time out of their day in their lives to give me development and mentorship and encourage me and sometimes tell me what I don't want to hear, but what I need to hear.
0: Sure. So are you doing that for younger officers today?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm pretty proud of that. I'm actually going to be changing roles here very soon. I just got a new job, same agency, but I'm going to become the public information officer instead of a commander. And uh, that's a whole new role for me.
0: That's different. So what... Do you do? For people who don't know what a public information officer does, what is your job? What will your job be?
1: I'll no longer be supervising the enforcement aspect of what we do in what we call the operations division. I'll be working directly for our CEO, and that role is an outward-facing role. So I will be talking with the public and representing the agency as a whole to share the different aspects of what we do, the services we provide, the things that are going on inside the agency. So that people have a good idea of what we're doing. So that includes social media aspects, press releases, press conferences, all those things. It's a new endeavor for me. It's not totally foreign to me because I've been with the agency for so long, but it's definitely going to be a new chapter in my life.
0: You're really looking forward to that, huh? I
1: am. It's a little scary not being like the enforcement side of it. I'm going to get to keep my commission, but on a more limited basis. But this is a whole different world for me. And I'm excited. Is about it though? It. I mean, it is in that I got to be careful. Like one of the things that's going to be hard for me, I'm used to be on stage, right? And I think when the lights are on and I got a press conference going, it's going to be hard for me when somebody asks a question, not to snap them off like I would somebody on a stage, right? Because sometimes people say stupid stuff during a comedy show and I'm right there to be like, snap them off and give them a little love and attention to make the audience laugh. In the professional setting as a PIO, I don't think that's going to be quite appropriate. So I got to make sure that I understand that I'm not on stage at a comedy show and start snapping off the media because that could go down a completely different path than one would want to.
0: So no Chris Farley reenactments. I think there's going to be some of my
1: personality that needs to shine through. So when we're done talking talking about or maybe preceding, and depending on the topic we're talking about that day, but definitely after the camera lights are off, just being myself with those media personalities, I think it's going to be important because I truly want people to see that we're not these robots in uniforms, that we are truly people with mortgage payments and car payments and kids. And we all have these different things that everybody else has. We're just, when we're working, everybody just sees the badge, the uh, vest, the gun, the uniform. And that's not the complete picture.
0: Yeah. Whenever you get pulled over, I don't know if you do ever get pulled over, but whenever I get <laughs> well, pulled over, over, the stress, like the heart rate starts picking up. It's, it's okay. Seatbelt okay. on. Then we start doing the chat. Yeah. What you, so you've been pulled over.
1: Oh yeah. I actually, I made my guys write me a ticket one time. I got pulled over speeding and they're like, you're good. And I'm like, oh no, write me a ticket.
0: Good for you.
1: I later supervised that person and I didn't want to leave a bad impression because it was specifically our agency. And I didn't want to make that uncomfortable for him. And I didn't want that to later be something that was held against me where I now needed to hold him accountable for something as a supervisor. And then there's that weird dynamic that occurred. And I got to tell you, it was not an easy thing to do because I had to basically make him write me the ticket. But you know what? It was better to walk away from it that way and just not have to worry about anything afterwards. And I'm not perfect. I'm going to tell you right now, I got a lead foot sometimes. And if I get pulled over, I get pulled over.
0: I know this sounds so cliche, but you're setting the example that you're not above the law just because you know the person who pulled you over.
1: It's that but... officer's discretion. But in that case, because it was our own agency, like I didn't want to put our guy in that role. And you know what? I think it set an example for other people that, like, okay, we know where Vinny stands, and that's important for people to know where I stand. I don't want to put myself in a spot where I'm compromising anything.
0: That makes sense. When you have pulled somebody over, has there ever been a time where somebody goes, "Oh, I recognize you"?
1: So I'm sure there has. For me to remember any traffic, and I actually do a lot of traffic, but. That's like asking me, like, where was the last time you had a taco? I just don't know if I can remember that situation because it happened so often. But I so remember one time. said
0: to you in any interaction, I've seen you. I've seen your stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: I've had that for sure. But there was this one time where I went to do the show at the Boulder Dairy Center. And I don't even remember what the show was for. This is a Boulder. And I did a show at the Dairy Center. And there was this lady who was there. And she's like talking to me. She said, I met you. And you contacted me one time. And I was like, oh, Cool. And she was, I can't remember if it was her driving or her boyfriend driving, but the situation was like she had 10 years of registration and insurance cards in the glove box. I was asking her for the current one. I don't even remember what year this was, but 2010, 2011, right. hold on a second, 2012, 13. And I'm like, all right, you told me, she goes, listen, here's the deal. You're not going to get a ticket so long as you promise me this. You get rid of everything except for the current stuff. So that she gets pulled over again. The next officer doesn't have to sit there waiting for you. And I was, I guess I was busting up on her or her boyfriend. I just can't remember the exact dynamic. But anyway, the point of the story was, is they thought it was very funny how I poked fun at them. I wasn't just so robotic. There's a point time where you can joke with people and you can even poke fun sometimes, but you got to be willing to take it the other way and not be so serious. And so there's a time and a place for everything. And just because you're on a traffic stop or you're on a very intense call, Sometimes a little bit of humor goes a long way, or a little sure. bit of levity just to let some of the air out. And I think that happens not only for us in those situations, but just in life. Have you ever been in a very situation where you're with your friends and everything is very tense and like somebody farts or somebody does something really weird? And then all of a sudden, yeah, just, baby, I knew
0: you were going to say that. I just, just, just going to use that as an example.
1: It clears the air for a while. Maybe he doesn't clear the air, but it adds a little bit of levity to what's going on. And it just makes people feel like release that pressure because people get yeah. so damn serious sometimes. They're so focused on it. Sometimes it's the littlest things, right? That really drive people crazy. But when you say is take a step back and you start looking it's this life, health, safety. Is am I going to be okay? Don't get so damn serious about everything. And I'm not saying that as trying to preach to people. That's a reminder for me because I get wrapped mm-hmm. around the about stuff.
0: Sure. No, I think that's good advice. And you're right. It's not just in the work you do but in life itself, in any industry, because there seems to be more and more that's expected of people and people come to work in their stress. They come to life in their stress. So when you could take a moment or something happens and laughter is brought into it, it does almost a little reset. Yeah. Like you go, oh gosh. Okay. Puts things in perspective a little bit, maybe.
1: Yeah. I think sometimes we need a little bit of isolation just to think To give us a perspective and I will give you a great example, a short example. I was on a cruise ship one time. I don't even remember where the heck we were. I think we're in the Caribbean. We're out in the middle of nowhere. It was a middle of the night and I went out on deck and there was nobody else on deck with me and I was on the side of the ship and I'm just looking out into the vast ocean and I look up and I'm like, it's thousands and thousands of feet below this ship. The water's super deep and we're just out here in the middle of nowhere. In those moments where you start reflecting that you're so small in this world, when you start thinking about, we take everything so seriously so many times. If a rogue wave came and capsized in the ship, we're out of here in the middle of nowhere. I start thinking about weird stuff like that, but just having that moment to reflect that your life's situations and seriousness sometimes that we put on ourselves, it's not that damn serious. And you got to step back to see that there's a bigger picture and Although I enjoy my job as being a commander right now where I work and everything, that's great, but I've had to make this change for myself now. I've done this for 25 years and I started my 26th year. Being uncomfortable is growth, and I am uncomfortable right now. And it feels good to have that feeling again for once because now I'm having to figure stuff out and I don't know where this is going to lead me being the PIO. I have no idea. I might have a bad day in front of the media. I'm sure that's going to happen. I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't have said but I'm going to own it. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to stand there and be like, yeah, I said it. I apologize. That was incorrect on my part, but I have the skills that going back to Sergeant Martinez about having that humility and understanding that I'm not perfect, but I certainly can own what I've said and make amends. And I'm excited to have this opportunity. So I don't know. You might see a little comedy routine on a PIO conference one of these days. I don't know.
0: Oh, well, I'm going to be tuning in. I don't know where, but I'm going to find it and be tuning in. But here's the thing. I think the media is going to be forgiving in those moments because you're a guy whose personality just lends itself to being liked. And so they're not going to want to stick it to you. I hope they better be nice to you.
1: Keep that in mind, Colorado media. Keep that in mind.
0: That's right. We said it here. I'm chuckling because I want your input. Tell me what it's like to work with millennial officers.
1: Whoa, I'll say this the current generation of the millennials, the Z and the Millennials, I'm not gonna comment on anybody in particular, but if we had the draft right now, I don't feel like a lot of them are gonna go. I don't think that's gonna be on their top priority. And they're probably gonna have to recruit people like me back into the military. But basic training is gonna look a whole lot different. What if is it gonna, gonna be, look like? I'm gonna be getting off the bus with my fellow Gen Xers, and they're gonna be like, sir, before we even get you started, Benny. We're going to give you a little care package, a little Bengay. You can smell like Bengay around here a lot. You guys are old. There might be some of those little cushions for hemorrhoid issues. There's going to be a lot of things that, the calisthenics, the warm up is going to be a lot longer and the run's going to be shorter. And the obstacle course is really going to be non-existent because I don't know if they want to injure us before they send us out. No, I say that with a very light heart because all generations are very different. But every generation that, has somebody else come after them. They always, the older generation always says, oh, they didn't have it as bad as we had it. Everybody right? saying, listen to your parents. I'm at the school. I feel both ways. <laughs> 12 feet of snow. And they were throwing darks at us and rolling bowling balls at us down the hill. Because Everybody always says something you know, like that. But I just find it funny. Situations where I created millennials joining the police force. And I wrote that bit. They just, people get a laugh at it. Because I think millennials take the hardest hit on the chin. Because everybody has a connotation of what that is in their head. The millennial really don't hear that about Gen Z, but the poor millennials, they took it pretty hard because I think that got talked a lot about in the media and online and social aspects. Right. So, yeah. Sorry, millennials, just like me. I'm above the joke sometimes, but in this area, you have to be the bug joke.
0: So what is it like when you're working with them, when you're teaching and training them? Is it different? And if so, how?
1: I don't know that I can speak so much of the millennials anymore, but we're the current generation. So first of all, they're very creative. And they are very smart and they are very tech savvy, right? That's a plus. I like Darth Brooks. He says, every blessing is a curse and every curse is a blessing. So I always keep that in the back of my mind. So the blessings with that is they're super tech savvy. They have the ability to just absorb information quickly, especially in the technical world. But it's not just exclusive to people that are coming into law enforcement. People get so tied up in the tech world and everything going on. This interaction of having the actual physical conversation gets lost because a lot of people today, they prefer texting. They prefer not going out as much. They rather play video games. It just depends who you are. But I think a lot of that ability to read situations and have the ability to pick up on social cues, facial cues, the way people are phrasing their sentences, the pauses that people give when you're asking them questions, I think a lot of that gets lost in that experience level because everything is done so digitally these days or online. And I think as a police officer, especially, you have to be able to pick up those nuances because that's what helps you be really good to detect Where's their deceit? Where's there something that just isn't quite right? So I think some of those things get a little bit lost, but here's the positive, right? Blessing, every blessing is a curse. Every curse is a blessing. The millennials of the Z generation are very protective of their mental health. They are inherently good about that because they draw limitations. The job is the job. My life is my life. They don't commit to the organization the way I would say I did. I was live or die, whatever the agency needed for me. It, to, even to this day, I will give full heartily. But that also comes with a opportunity cost. When you're so devoted to an organization, other things suffer: your family, uh, relationships, all those things. Yeah. On so that aspect, they're very wise and they are very smart because they're not going to invest everything into it. They're going to invest what they need to, and what's appropriate, and what's within their boundaries. And I think that's going to cause them to be able to live a lot longer and also be happier in their relationships and the things outside of work that their job supports instead of them just living for having the job. So I am a little bit jelly of them because they're so adapted to understanding that dynamic. And also they're very good about talking with each other and understanding their mental health situation, where when I was coming up, you really didn't talk about your mental health or how you were feeling about it because. I felt like that was looked at as a kind of a weakness, which it really isn't in any way, shape or form. So they're very much ahead of us in that game too. And I got to tell you, here's the thing that I want to say about the millennials and the Z generation. Anybody coming into first responder work, especially in law enforcement today in 2024, you have to take your hat off to them and pay homage and respect to them because this is probably one of the most tumultuous and difficult times to come into this role And for that very thing alone, I will always be appreciative because there's always got to be somebody that's willing to respond Mm -hmm. to those calls and help.
0: Yes. I want to reinforce that because that's such an important point. Before we started recording, you and I were talking a little bit. I shared with you that my son had been a police officer. Yeah. And I remember he was a young officer. I just remember that some days were really heavy for him. When you leave work, and I don't have to tell you this, but when you leave work, You don't shut the door on your patrol car or walk out of the agency and leave everything behind. That's a fallacy. That can't happen. So if you have a family to come home to, or even you're coming home by yourself, I know from conversations with my son that you still carry that heaviness. Not that he necessarily said that to me. But I could hear it when I spoke to him and he had just handled a situation that was Something that none of us should ever see or hear. Yeah. But you guys are dealing with that. And like you said, first responders, other first responders like paramedics getting to the scene and seeing things that remind you of family or friends. Yes. Much respect. I wanted to ask you, what can the community do to better support first responders and even our military? who do deal with these things that we don't have to see day in or day out. If we see them, it's usually rare. It's usually only a couple times in a lifetime. What can we do to support you guys?
1: I can spend a whole day talking about that, but anytime something big has happened, we've had a large fire like we did in 21-2022, or we have a very serious shooting like the one we had at King Super's, People always reach out to us and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for what you did. We appreciate you in the community and all that stuff. And people have gotten a lot better about expressing that towards police officers. I feel like they walk, I hear that way more, or you drive to the Starbucks line and they're like, hey, the person ahead of you paid for you. And you're like, oh, wow, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. But speaking out and saying, this is Vinnie Montez responding. This is not a canned response and this is not speaking for my agency. When people say F the police or all cops are bad and all this sort of stuff, it would be really encouraging to see people on social media say to people saying that stuff on social media, hey, this has got to stop because the young people coming in right now, we were talking about millennial and Z generation, they're very protective of their mental health and they're only going to take so much. I think we were prepared when I was a younger cop to take much more of a beating verbally and stuff. And. These young people want to be happy in their lives and they don't want to go home and not feel positive about the job they're doing. So I think that the last thing that the community wants to do is make people feel so bad doing this job that they don't want to do it anymore. When really we are short staffed as it is right now, it is so hard to find people to do this job. And I will tell you this, and I've said this before, you don't want people that are new being your... Police force. You don't want a young police force. You want young people to come in to replace the older generations. Right. But you want people who become a seasoned veteran. And people are like, why let me tell you why. If you have heart surgery today, or you were going to go to the hospital because you got shot or you got in a bad accident, and you're torn open and you need to have clinical surgery. I don't want the new guy that just came out of medical school that's just free balling it, figuring out what's going on. And while we're just going to figure this out right now. Yeah, I've been given the blessing, but let's just see how this goes. No, I want the person who has had multiple heart stop on the operating table. I want the person who has got a lot of experience, who is going to be able to sew me up and not going to get repulsed by seeing all the blood or whatever it is. But you don't get good at anything without doing it a lot. Here's answering your question so explicitly. When you become a police officer, you need latitude to make a lot of mistakes. You don't get good at anything without failing. You look at Michael Jordan, you look at anybody who's ever been extremely successful at music or anything else, being a good cop and learning how to be a good cop. And that includes how to interact with people, learning how to digest the verbal cues. And you may be going to say the wrong thing. You might get a little hyped up like I was when I was a young officer and maybe I was grandstanding in front of the inmates. And I didn't know what I didn't know until I had a person like Ross Martinez who took the time to be like, hey, hold on there, youngster. This is what you need to do. Because we learn from the people that are around us and we learn from the experiences that we go through. So I say this, there's one thing I could get from the community today is understand that we're going to have good people, just like they invest in their kids. They don't just send their kids off and be like, okay, you're a lawyer today. You got to go to school. You got to take tests. You got to get really good so that you can get into those schools that are really good. If you want to have a good career, same thing. If you want your law enforcement, you want your people to be really good that protect that community. You got to let them make a little bit of mistakes. And today's cop is expected to come out of the academy, hit the road after training, and be absolutely perfect. Perfection does not exist. It is a constant pursuit of perfection that we're trying to do. And these people, the young generation coming up right now, that scrutiny of not being able to, everything's on body camera. You step out of line, you say one thing the wrong way, and people are on top of you. And you know what? You just can't live with that kind of pressure. And if we put that kind of pressure on people, that they can't have mistakes and they can't have a little bit of free latitude. And how we expect them to grow? How we expect them to be like own that? You wouldn't put that pressure on your own kids to the point where they want to be like, I'm quitting school. So there needs to be a little bit of understanding on both sides. And I think if we do that, we get let these youngest generation coming in to fill the shoes that I'm going to be leaving soon. I think we're going to be in good shape. So just people always say, don't get so heavy handed law enforcement. You hear that stuff. Don't be beating up people you should not be. And I agree with all that. We shouldn't be using for a solution. That comes with patience and temperance in order for officers to understand the best way to deal with situations. But that doesn't happen overnight. You have to have a chance to have failure.
0: That's so important what you just said. And I will tell you in every conversation I have, I say this in every podcast because it's true. There's always a point where I want to hit rewind and play that for the audience again. Here's what you said that is so important, not just in law enforcement, not just for first responders or military, but for all of us. How do we expect people to grow if they're not allowed to make mistakes? I am an early podcaster. I've made so many mistakes, and I appreciate the people who are patient with me and give me the opportunity to fix those places where I failed. It's scary, and maybe that's more for our generation to feel so scared to make a mistake. But we've got to give our young people, give ourselves grace to fail, to make mistakes, to get better. And nobody wants to hear it. People are going to listen to this and they're going to say, you cannot, you don't have that luxury in law enforcement. You don't have the luxury to expect perfection is what I would say. Somebody can't come out and be perfect without experience. They have to get the experience. So Thank you for sharing that with me. I wrote that down. I think that's incredibly important. Again, not just in law enforcement, but really to take that as a lesson, to be patient with people who are coming up, who are learning. Maybe it's not a younger generation. Maybe it's somebody coming in later, but let's be forgiving and give people an opportunity to learn from their mistakes.
1: I love the word you use, grace. I've supervised for the last five plus years our actual training program. And I will tell you the number one thing, it's already enough pressure for them to be doing this job. But when I see where their struggles are, and where they're really beating their heart on themselves, I got to tell you right now, retreats are already hard on themselves. They have such a high expectation. They want to be performing at the level of the men and women who are around them that are experienced. They want to be at that level, but you just can't. Like today, even if I was in perfect shape, I'm not going to go out there and be an amazing gymnast. It takes years of preparation and skill to become some of these Olympic athletes. It just doesn't happen because it just happens It's a concerted effort. So you have these young people who are, and, I, and I, when I say young people, I'm referring to new people to the job. Not that they're young in age, but young people to the job, new people to the job, the Biggest part I want people to know is I watch these people when they're being, they have a person riding with them every day while they're in training and then every move is being watched and to operate and do the job in the eye of the public with somebody watching and evaluating you, that is intense pressure and sure. they make a mistake and they dwell on it because they're like, oh, I, I screwed up. And I want you to know it makes them sick sometimes. It's just, they they want to do so good. They want to serve so oh. proudly and so perfectly. But again, you don't know what you don't know until you're in that moment and you're going to make the wrong mistake. But what we need people is to be able to make decisions. We need people who are willing to be courageous to go out there and understand, look, law enforcement is not black and white. It is the most great job out there. Not one size fits all. Your application of what you might do on a domestic violence call in one situation might be completely different than because you're dealing with different dynamics of who you're dealing with. It's a different situation. There is no one-size-band-aid that fits all. So put that pressure on people and you're like, hey, we're not going to tell you all the rules. Here's some guidelines of where you need to stand. And here's some things that are mandatory that you have to do. But you need to be able to make those decisions, make those calls. Nobody's going to be perfect in doing it. And so I just want to share with you how much stress and pressure these new officers have on them going into this job. It's immense. So them coming out on the other side, when they finally get to go, we call it going solo, where they're no longer in FTO training, field officer training. It's an immense pressure of relief. But that as soon as that person goes away, now they're all by themselves in the car. And that first call comes out. I'm telling you, they're questioning themselves. Do I really know enough? Am I going to be okay? I got to be. And they're throwing right into the mix. But man, I'll tell you what, just because you get out of training, in my humble opinion, where I work, it takes about three years to get to the point where you have some semblance of an idea of what you're doing. It takes seven years to get to the point, in my opinion, to be like, man, I dealt with a little bit of everything. I feel very comfortable. There's just so many nuances to the job. You can't fit that all into one training program. I want you to know these people who are becoming cops, there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of pride, and there's a lot of sense of community and wanting to be of help. And I know it says cliche of people say, Well, what do you want to be public cop for? I want to help people. But guess what? They're not gonna say this all the time because it is cliche, but they truly are getting into this job today to help their communities. And sure. I want make to know sense. that for me.
0: I love it. It's important to hear you say because it's not just to pull people over, put people no. in handcuffs, but to serve and protect. When we're scared and feel like we need somebody coming in to take care of us, we pick up the phone and call the police. Yep. Now, you may have given me a ticket earlier in the day and I'm pissed off about that. Huh. But later when, yeah. When somebody's breaking into my house, I'm calling you. I'm going right, to call you and right. ask you to take care of me. And you do, when I say you, officers, law enforcement officers, Sure. you show up time and time again. You don't go, oh yeah, I remember you. You were the jerk that told me off. You were, sorry, not helping yeah. you.
1: It's so weird. You remind me of something right here. You say, I remember you from the person who got the ticket. I think everybody thinks that Law enforcement officers remember every single contact they have. They don't. The reason the community remembers it is because they're not contacted by the company. There are some community members who get contacted a lot by that. Some are some out there that have a lot of contact. But the majority of people that have a limited one-time interaction with a police officer, they remember everything that officer said. They remember everything that the officer did wrong. They remember everything that was encapsulated in that one contact. And that is like a grain of sand. In a sandbox for a police officer because their days consist of so many more things besides that contact. And, but people, that's our one chance with that little window with people. And if that officer was having a bad day, or they answered their phone for their wife or husband right before they made that traffic stop, and the kids are burning down the house at home, and that parent was relaying that situation to the officer that's on duty, people don't realize they're human beings. Imagine if you got a call from your spouse and they're like, hey, the kids are out of control. They set fire to the laundry in they're you'd be upset too. And then they have that contact. And maybe that officer just wasn't the most polite at the time. I'm not excusing bad behavior. What I'm just saying is we're all human.
0: It goes back to yes. give each other grace, right?
1: I love that word. Give people grace. Understand.
0: Yeah.
1: Assume positive intent. Yes. One of the guys that I grew up under his leadership, Lance N. Holm, I used your name, buddy. He was actually a field training officer and he retired as a division chief for us. But he would always be a big proponent of assume positive intent because we always tend to look for the negative. I think it's just part of our society. Assume positive intent, especially when you're in the leadership role. And that's sometimes hard to do where you're going to something did go right and you got to go back and check on it and see what happened before we pass judgment, ask, and I try to do this and I'm not perfect, but help me understand what happened before I start leaping into people's worlds.
0: Yep. And that's a great way to ask. Help me understand. I want to go back to your comedy for a little bit. What was it like the first time you decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get on stage.
1: It was very hard to get on stage. I ended up getting on stage at one of the top comedy clubs for my very first time ever in the country. It's Comedy Works in Denver. This is like the comedy store in LA. It is one of the premier clubs and they have a new talent program back in 2007. we still have it, but it was a little bit different back then. I had to call into the club for 10 weeks straight where I was allowed to have one, two minute spot on a Tuesday night for new talent night. And I remember being home and I had a, a hairbrush. It wasn't mine. It was my better half's hairbrush. And I actually have this video, and there's a documentary coming out on me later this year where they film me at work and my family and everybody like that, and workers and comedy people. And I think they're going to use this video where I am actually rehearsing my first two minutes on stage with the hairbrush. And yeah, it was something else, but I was scared and I was intimidated. Again, I was uncomfortable. I was growing, but you got to take that leap of faith and I was showing the most was this guy named Troy Meeks, who happened to be that new talent night. And he was one of the people who had been doing this longer than me. And you could tell he was comfortable already. And I'm getting ready to do two minutes. Two minutes. And everybody's not like, two minutes. I can do two minutes. Doing two minutes of stand-up comedy holding people's attention is a long time. And before I went on stage, he reached into his pocket and he gave me this buzzer he carried with him that just vibrated in his pocket. And he set it for a minute and a half so I would know because they didn't want you to go over your time or they turned the mic off. Mm-hmm. And He showed me such grace and fellowship and was helpful. But imagine if I had walked in there, I always am very appreciative of Troy Meeks because of the way he treated me that day. And we always remember not what people do, but how they make us feel. He made me feel very welcome. So I always try to reciprocate that to new talent coming up. And I will never forget him. And that night started everything that is today. And I wonder how I would have felt I would have met some Stonewall person who was just like, didn't want to let me in. It was like, you're not part of our group. I wonder what my future would have been like had I experienced something like that. I'm sure I would have persevered, but I certainly wouldn't have been revered with him or the comedy at Comedy Works the way that I came into it.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is Troy Meeks made a difference in your life. (laughs)
1: He made a huge difference in my life. He made me feel welcome that night. And uh, that night, I would have did my two minutes. And Deacon Gray, who was the new talent coordinator, he said, we're going to bring you back and have you do a C-set. And they either bring you back or they didn't. And they gave me three minutes the next time I was there. Is that what a C-set is? A C-set is three minutes. minutes, And a B-set is four. And an A-set is five. Okay, and it took me till 2013 to finally make the almost famous list, which is you now get to open for the biggest names in the country that come through comedy works. And I'm wow. talking people like Joey Coco Diaz. I got to be in front of Joe Rogan. I got to be in front of a lot of people that came through there, but only through. Again, the one thing I've learned is don't quit. So even when things get really tough, don't quit because as long as you're moving forward, there's a lot. If you ask me right now, are you the funniest guy out there? I'll play. No, nope, I'm not the funniest guy because I've seen people. Who are seriously funny, but what I am is I'm one of the hardest working people that you oversee and to make me quit or give up, good luck because it's not going to happen.
0: So two things we've talked about today that I think are so important just globally is give people grace and make a difference. It's so easy to make a difference in somebody's day. It doesn't have to be any grand gesture. It can just be a little kindness that somebody didn't expect. You were talking about when you worked in the jail. I worked in jails for a little bit, and I never forget this. I never forget. One day, I walked into a jail. We were transitioning medical departments, and in this jail, they had cells in the medical departments, and I walked in the morning, getting my, my stuff together, and one of the inmates said, which would have been one of our patients, not my inmate, said, good morning, miss. And I said, good morning. How are you today? And just that was. Not that was about it. The end of the day this gentleman says to me, "Miss," I said, "Yeah, hey, how you doing?" He's, "I just wanted to thank you." I said, "What? Thank me for what?" He said, "For saying hello to me this morning." That's it. Right. That's it. That's it. Yep. Everybody and- wants to feel significant. It doesn't mean they want to be a diva or feel important, but man, we want to feel like we mean something to somebody. And yep such a small act, such a, just a, Hey, how you doing?
1: Yeah. I can't agree more with you than what you just said. Interacting with people, we are social creatures and there are people that need to have that interaction. And sometimes we get that call for that older person who is on their own and they're just, they just need some interaction. And I don't know why I'm going to speak about this, but I'll just say this right now. If people say, what's one of the things that people have tried to stop you from doing, Vinny, or like curb who you are? And I will say there are people, and I'm not trying to say they're bad people in any way, shape, or form, but they try to stifle me. And what I mean by that is I am comfortable in any situation talking to anybody, anywhere, anytime. And I love to talk to people and meet new people and interact with them. And I'll be with friends sometimes who are really close friends of mine, and they'll be like, man, you got to talk to everybody. I'm like, yeah, I do. and if you accept me about who I am, you better get with the program because, but for them, they're very uncomfortable. They're very uncomfortable to have any attention drawn to them. And the one thing I had to come to terms with a long time ago, and I think this is probably for being a police officer. And I got to step aside here for a second. So you go to this bar, bar closing. And back in the day in the county where I work in today, we would go into the city to help with bar closing because it just would be crazy, crazy. and Not so bad anymore, but you get that two o'clock in the morning bar closing and there's that one drunk idiot that comes out of the bar and like, when he does. and Vinnie Montez of the young Vinnie Montez would probably went over there and been like, Hey, what are you trying to say? But nothing good from going to contact that guy is going to come from that. Nothing it's good right. is going to come from that. We get paid for people to talk trash to us. We have to be ready for that kind of thing. And. A lot of criticism will come. And Cat Williams, who's a comedian, I love the thing that he says, you got to embrace the haters because they'll watch you anyway. They'll see what you do just to hate on you more. And I really love that. And not that I love people hating me, but I love the fact that people can't affect me that way. You're not going to stifle me. You're not going to close me down. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll be appropriate and quiet when I need to be at work and be professional, but I'm not going to stop being Vinnie Montez. There are people out there that I've interacted with who have a different view of law enforcement just because of our conversation. There are people that I've interacted out there who relationships have formed and benefits of business have come to light with that. There are people that I've contacted who just needed a little bit of lift in their day. They needed somebody to point out something positive in their life to make them feel better about where they're at. And if I can give one person a better understanding of law enforcement, I can make people have a better day because... I was able to resonate with something in their life they were struggling with. If I could tell them that I was unsuccessful mentally as a police officer early in my career where I should have been talking about my mental health, I should have been saying something about what I was struggling with inside instead of harboring it and feeling like I had weakness because I was dealing with these things. I'm not afraid to say that anymore. And if I can touch somebody and maybe one person decides not to kill themselves because I've experienced my own recruit taking their life after I train them. I've experienced the guys that I grew up with taking their lives because they couldn't deal with this job. I'm not going to be stifled. And you know what? Nobody ever stifled my father, Rudy Montez. And I love that man so much. And today, I'd never been able to talk about him on stage before. And recently, I just started to. And I don't know why I'm welling up right now, but damn it. I, I, love, love, it. The, I love the fact that I am in it to win it. And I'm not ashamed of where I come from. And I'm not ashamed of where I'm in. And I'm certainly not ashamed of the mistakes that I've made in my life because I would not be sitting here with you today having this conversation. And I would not be as effective as a law enforcement professional. That's right. Had That's I not right. made all the mistakes that I've had on over the course of a 25 year career.
0: So what was it that you said that your family called it when your dad was in there talking and talking?
1: I've been selling tamales.
0: Tamales. So I think what you just talked about, you're selling tamales.
1: I am selling tamales. I truly am selling tamales. And. I had a hard time even broaching the subject of my dad, because I think it just put me in a bit of tears on stage. But I had to process it for a very long time. But my dad, I recognize my dad truly lives through me. I, everything that I have in my personality, I have the stubbornness of my mother, that work ethic. I have the work ethic of my mother. I will get it done. We're going to push through. I have that vision. And my mom was just a steadfast. She didn't give a damn. We're going to get this job done. My dad was even a bigger visionary, but he just had that ability of getting people going in a certain direction. And he's truly living through me today. And I'm very proud of my father. He may not have had a formal education, but he had a doctorate when it came to dealing with people.
0: Vinny, I think for a moment there, we heard your father through you. (laughs) And I I think you should be very proud of that. So you're selling tamales and the result of that is you're making a difference in people's lives. Man. I hope you'll go back and listen to this section over and over because I bet you're going to hear your dad.
1: Mm. It'll be very interesting. I took the option. I don't remember why I did this for high school, but it was some project I'm sure. But I interviewed my parents around 1998 and my brother and I created this film and then this documentary came up and I was able to pull that footage out. And so who knew that my life was going to be where it is today, but this film creator, Jason Harney with lightning entertainment, who ended up coming and approaching me about this project. And we finished it in September with a show in Vegas. And he was telling me he went back. It's like, it was meant to pull this footage fast forward because my dad's talking about his life and what he hopes for his sons. And, but now it has a context. It has a place and I always saved it and I had no idea. So now when this comes out and then it's got a working title right now called Vinnyisms because everybody's got a story about Vinny. And something either I did really crazy or some weirdness that I lived out there. But I don't know if that's going to be the final title. But yeah, we should see that mid-year this year. Point. I can't
0: wait. I am going to be looking for that. And I'm going to be promoting that and cheering for that.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Because it'll be neat to meet, to get meet your dad and your mom. I'm always curious about people's mom. I'm a bit like you. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. And I'm always, when I meet somebody who's doing something extraordinary or scary or whatever, I think about their mother because I'm a mom yeah. and I've got a son who, like I said, was a police officer. I've got a son in the military. And so when he's deployed, I think about him and I, so when things happen, I think about what is it like for their mother? Yeah. So you talk about your mom, one of the expressions you've used to describe your mom is a mexican wolverine so why what's your mom's real name
1: my mom's real name is sylvia so
0: why is sylvia the mexican wolverine
1: my mom is one of the most loving honest best people in the world but there was a price to pay for inappropriate behavior and not conducting yourself well i took a toothpaste tube maybe five or six years old out of a key mark. I just thought it was cool. I didn't know right from wrong really at that point. I probably knew some right from wrong, but I remember walking out with it and we got to the parking lot and she saw that I had it and she whooped my ass all the way back into the store and made me give it back to the employee and chastised me. So that's just a glimpse of the Mexican Wolverine, right? But I got older and I was in junior high and my dad gave me a silver dollar And I was very proud of it because my father had given it to me. So I took it to school and we're in this geography class with Mr. Shoup and I give it to this kid named Jeff and he's looking at it. And there was a window right next to our table. We're all facing each other. He throws it out the window to be messing with me. And I'm like, go get the dollar. That's my dad. He gave it to me. Go get my dollar. And he wouldn't do it. And I was a big WWF fan of wrestling Uh back then. Uh, so I picked this kid up and I basically body slam him on the table and Mr. Shoup grabbed me and he drugged me down to Scott Winston's office. And you're like, Vinny, how do you know the name of the assistant principal of Virginia High? I might've spent a couple hours or several times inside of that office. And the rule number one was don't call my father at work. Mexicans have this thing about like, you're going to lose your job or something like that. And I took from a traditional Mexican family. So my mom was like, we call they're going to. If, they're, if you bother your dad at work, they're going to make him fire him. And I'm like, mom, they're not going to fire dad. But the rule was don't bother dad at work. So Mr. Winston had me in the little office next to his office. And he calls my mom. and He can't get a hold of her. And so he's, I'm going to call your dad. And I'm like, oh, God, oh, my God. And sure enough, my dad shows up and he used to drive trucks for AC Nielsen. And he shows up in his suspenders and his blue shirt with his name on it and everything and his pants. And he walks well, you in. Remember
0: and- the details.
1: Man, I was scared. It was a very difficult point in my life. And I didn't fear my father. My dad was the one you wanted to go to if you need anything. And I remember him, Mr. Winston, being like, Mr. Rontez is walking here. We'll talk about what transpired. My dad said, there's no need. And Mr. Winston's taken aback and he's, the fact that I'm here says everything that needs to be said. And so he's like, get in the truck and he took me home and he dropped me off. And I don't know how they communicated my mom and my dad at that point. My dad left back to work. My mom wasn't home. But when my mom got home, I made a break from my bedroom. I tried to get in there and I fell between the wall and the bed. And my mom was just, she was giving it to me. And I'm not saying beat me inappropriately like that, but she was letting me know that my behavior was unacceptable. And my dad said something to the effect, and I'm not quoting him, but he told Mr. Winston, if this was like on a Friday or something, he goes, my child will be back Monday and everything will be different. And I knew I was in for it. And I will never forget that. My mom, she would always say this stuff and say cliche, she'd be called this hurts me more than it's hurting you. My mom would have for sure went to jail in 2024, but I don't regret one bit of it because I was always that character. I always say, I tell her recruits, look, your field training officers are like, you're going bowling. They put the bumpers in the little sides of that, keep you between the lines. That's your training officer. My mom growing up, like there was a lot of latitude to grow. But she was that bumper for me to keep me between the lines. And I needed that. I needed a stiff kick in the ass sometimes to keep my attention focused. Because I tend to have a little ADD. I tend to say things when I was younger that probably shouldn't have said. And my mom has always been that person. And I'll tell you right now, I wrote that bit about her riding along with me and calling for backup because my mom is truly a ride or die. So I painted her as a picture, as as the Mexican Wolverine. But the flip side of that is, I was playing high school football, varsity team. I was 17 years old. I was on the fatty bus. There was two buses, the skinnies and the skinny players and the cheerleaders rode on one bus. And then the linemen, the fat, we had our gear on one side and us on the other side of the bus. And we rode on our own bus. And one day we're leaving from Boulder High to go play an away game. And there's this tapping on the side of the bus. And somebody's, hey man, I think that's your mom on the side of the bus. And I poke my head out the window and there's my mom and my dad in tow. And my mom is holding up this giant paper bag like you used to get from the grocery store. And it's stapled all the way across the top with a note. And she hands it up to me and I take it. But I was an asshole. And I'm sorry to use that word, but I was a complete ass. I was a typical stereotypical high school kid. I was like, mom, why are you here? What are you doing? And I took that bag of food into the bus and I opened it. And there was a note. It was like, I love you, Miko, from your mom and dad. Have a good game. And I opened it, and there was two Subway sandwiches and some chips and some Gatorade and some cookies. And I wasn't appreciative of the thing. But as I grew up, the real question was not about my parents showing me the love. The real question was, where were the other kids' parents? My mom and dad were so ride or die. They didn't give a shit what people thought of me. They were showing
0: up for you. They
1: were showing up for me. That's all that mattered, and I took it for granted. And I look back at it now and I go, man, what? And I've told my mom straight up. And when my dad was dying and I was with him in the hospice right there at home and he was passing away, I'm like, dad, I'm sorry for making you choke on your teeth when I was being mean to Ben, my younger brother. And I'm sorry for that one time where I wasn't respectful when you guys came. And I was letting everything out. And I've told my mom since then too. I was like, mom, I'm sorry for being such a pain in the butt when I was growing up. And she knows. She knows as a parent, and is a very confident woman. She was willing to withstand all that no matter what. Because of what she produced in the app and sticking with your kids, even when they're doing wrong and backing their play, not letting them get away with murder, but right. being there when they're through the hard times. I could never ask for so a better set of parents.
0: So you were being age appropriate as a teenager, being embarrassed by your parents, but I'm sure they knew that. And I will tell yeah. you, as a mom, I can't speak for your mom, but to have one of your kids come and say, you know, what you did for me or that time when there's nothing, there's no gift you can give a mom. There's no amount of money that she could get that equals. And I'm not kidding you. That's not to sound nice. There's nothing as you get old, become an older mom that equals your kid coming to you and just saying thank you or saying, okay, I get it. I get why you did all of that. So Is there anything about you that would surprise your friends and family since we're doing confessions?
1: Yeah. I don't know if it would be a surprise to them. Secretly, I doubtful of myself a lot. It may seem that I put off this facade of, and I don't think it's a facade. It just depends on where my mind is on a certain day. But as I've gotten older and I've dealt with a lot of the stuff that I've dealt with, like when I've. Finally decided to do more mental health counseling around 2008 and really deal with some of the mental health aspects that I was dealing with. That helped a lot, but I still have my days where I am not perfect, where I am overly stressed and worried. I get fixated on something and my better half now, there'll be days where I get so fixated on something where I can't let it go that she'll be busy. She's a trial lawyer for, she's a prosecutor. And some days it's been so bad where she's, listen, I need to put your neuroses on hold for a little while because... <laughs> I got to deal with with work, but I think people see like the social media side of me and they see the shows that I go do and all that stuff. But I guess what I want people to know is there's still this imperfect, not so confident person sometimes who is doubtful about, am I going to be able to find another thing that people will like comedic wise? It doesn't last a long time, but I would be lying if I didn't, wasn't honest about having that self doubt sometimes. And then I get in the mode of, this is probably the crux of it. There've been times when I'm struggling with my mental health on a personal side where I am like, man, I really haven't accomplished much in my life. And I know a lot of people will be like, God, you're crazy. But how I feel, if I'm being honest about it, that's how I feel. And then sometimes I have to think back to Lewis Black. Are you familiar with Lewis Black, the comedian? He's a really fun comedian. He is more of a political comedian. And there's one bit he talks about doing Carnegie Hall. He's performing at Carnegie Hall and his parents are there. And then he's this is it. Where do you go from Carnegie Hall? And I think the reason I bring this up, because I'm going to tie it back to something, is my dad. And it always humbles me out. I do a lot of things for other people to try to make them feel better and be helpful. Like I've had three shows in my career that I've done for very close friends or people that I knew in the field who were either having a liver transplant or a heart transplant. And I've done things to help other people who really struggling with different things. And I don't put a lot of value on money. I spend a lot of my money. And we're like, There's other people who save a lot of their money. Like Katrina and I, we don't share money, which is probably the best thing in the world because she waits for everything to go on sale at Costco. And I'm like, well, let's just buy it. But my dad would always say the saying, and I've heard Denzel Washington say it too, is you never see a U-Haul behind a purse. You don't take anything with you. And I would rather have a million memories with people. Who We had experiences and we shared something and we had a good time, whether it was through a sad time or through a very happy time, whatever it is, we experienced that together. And I don't want to have a mountain of money when I die. I want to have a mountain of experiences and I want to have made impactful meaning on people. And when I get in those modes of like, I haven't accomplished enough or I haven't done enough, I think back to what my dad would say. And I would think back to him saying, you don't ever leave it. You don't ever see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I think went through some of these same struggles too, because I think my dad had some mental health stuff too, especially with all the things he grew up with in his life, but my dad never let it get him down for long and he always pushed through. And so I always remember, I may be falling down today and I may not be what I feel I'm at my best, but my mom always says, tomorrow's a new day. Just be grateful for waking up. And when you get that and you realize that, and then you share a great experience like this one I'm sharing with you today. Or I'm with my friends and we're having, sharing old stories. Like one of my favorite things to do is get with my mentors who I grew up with around my teenage years, right before I became a police officer, I still have a very tight connection with them. And I'm always the butt of all the jokes because of all the stupid stuff that I did, but they have these stories that we tell every single time we're together, but it's very heartwarming. And I think everybody has those people and those connections with those people because nobody ever talks about like the time where they lost a bunch of money. They talk about times where... Their friends made them laugh. Or do you remember that one thing you did? Or do you remember that one time we were all together? We were all freaked out. And we thought we were going to crash. And we thought we were going to die. Well, we ate that stuff. We all got sick. Or that one tonight, <laughs> that's life. That is. And that's the connections where we're looking for. And I think that my dad knew the secret to life. And that was just to not take yourself so dead seriously and just keep moving forward.
0: So the next time you feel like that, what have I done? What do I have? I want you to replace that with, Where have I made a difference? Yeah, And I'm betting that list, like your list is really long. I just know it. I could tell it. Just even some of the things we've talked about. And like you said, people don't remember the statue that was sitting out in front of your house. They remember how you made them feel. They remembered that when you showed up, you sat and you talked for a minute. Yep. That when the shit was hitting the fan, you were right there next to them. Or yep. they knew they could call you. I think that's your list. And gosh, from what you tell me about your dad, it sounds to me like copy, paste.
1: Yeah. It sounds I like hope you so. have a so. lot
0: of that. Yeah.
1: I hope so. The weirdest thing that's probably happened to me in recent times is when we were filming the documentary, I think there was like 17 interviews, done, and those range from people that I worked with to comedians that they interviewed because they wanted to know what their thoughts were about Vinny the comedian and Vinny being a cop in the comedy world. And then my family members and just other people of longtime friends. And I was there, not on camera, but I was there listening to them talk about me. And I was like, who is this guy they're talking about? Because I don't know this guy. It was very humbling to hear what they were saying because they're answering the questions. I didn't tell them what to say. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then some of the stories they told them, I can't believe you're bringing this up on. I know they're going to put those things in there. And I'm like, people are going to find out. I don't tell you.
0: And people are going to love it. The thing is, you talked earlier about sometimes struggling with you haven't done enough. I think part of that is this pressure of always looking perfect when you're coming out, always being happy and fun and funny. But there are those days like at work where you got to go on. You got to go on. And maybe it wasn't a great day, but you still have to come. You have to come bright and funny and happy. And it's, I'm guessing it's like putting on a mask. It's like, this is the mask I need to be wearing right now.
1: I always go back to, I don't know why you're talking. You're making me think of my buddy, Sam Hard. So it's one of the guys that I started with very early and he's in this documentary, God help us all. And (laughs) those things that you go back to and that you share with people are what really brings us together. One of my experiences with him and what I talk about, I released a short clip called Dark Humor on Facebook yesterday or day before, and it's me doing a bit called Dark Humor. And I've never talked about this story anywhere, but I'm going to tell you right now, Sam and I, we've been through thick and thin together. We started together in the jail. He's now a sergeant, I'm a commander, and now I'm about to be the PIO. And we've lived through all this stuff together. We DJ together, we've been there through his kids being born, etc. But one of the things that really bound us together, I think, is just some of those dark experiences that we've lived together and that where people go off to war and all that stuff, but sometimes it's that dark humor. One night we had this very serious auto accident where cars were turned over. This lady was trapped in the middle of this car and there's other guys dead and it's just bad. And we get there and him and I are creeping up on this car. We're checking everybody out and literally this lady's leaned over and dash. And sometimes we say the wrong thing goes back to grace and We're walking up, and I don't know if you've seen the movie Aliens before. Have you ever seen that with Sigourney Weaver? There's this part where they're underneath the heating and cooling system, and these people are all glued with this slime up to the wall. And they go to see if this person's alive, this person just pops up like this. And this person looked like they were dead. And Sam and I were getting closer, and they are about to reach out and touch him. This lady just opened her eyes and picked her head up. And she looks at Sam. She looks at me, and Sam says, are you okay? And Mind you, this car is mangled all the way around it, but it just, and it wasn't funny at the time, but looking back on it now, he's, are you okay? And she's, no, I'm not. And it took him like forever to cut her out of the car, but we've seen all this mayhem, right? And the one thing we remember the most about that call is Sam asking this lady who is clearly not okay if she's okay. And we have that memory we share together. Do you remember that one time? Yeah, I remember you like, hey, are you okay? And she's like, no, oh, I'm not. Memories like that, I go back. Nobody else gets to see those things. We do. But that's what bonds us together. And having that ability to not take yourself so seriously, having it a little graced, have a little humor with it. Man, it goes a long way. It goes a long way.
0: It does. It does. Sometimes you got to laugh at yourself. What has been the most surprising thing about all of this, about the police work and the comedy combining? What's been the most surprising?
1: The reaction people have about me as a comedian when I'm on stage, one of the number one questions that I get asked when I get off stage is, are you really a cop? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, because I never met a funny cop. And then you think about that for a second. Probably true. Most interactions that police officers have with community members are when they're in the enforcement stage, right? Put the beer down. Hey, slow down. You're getting a ticket. Stop going inside of that building where you're not supposed to go. Don't beat that person. Come over here. Stop smoking that drug. Get over there. Sit down. You, take the dog, put it on a leash. There's never just, there might be, but like the typical contact is never necessarily a positive one because enforcement just inherently is enforcement. Right. So people say, I've never really met a funny cop. You can't be funny. You can't be doing a stand up comedy routine where you're telling people, listen, stop beating your husband or stop beating your wife. It's that time to have a little comedic. It's time to be serious. So I think that's been surprising to me. And then the other thing that's surprising to me and it humbles me out to the core is people will see my video or they'll see a podcast or they'll see something that I put out there and they'll say, man, I was struggling and I put on your video and I watched it and I related to it and it made me laugh. And so I go to your videos and I watch them all the time and it's, man, what is so special about me that like hearing that, It's so humbling to me because I'm just Vinny. And when I got into comedy, I didn't start doing this because I wanted to be this big entertainer. That wasn't the thing. I was just trying to save my own life for lack of better words. I was just trying to balance my life with not being a cop all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've lost relationships twice. I've been engaged before. Lost those relationships. And there was some part on their part, but it was really because of my immaturity, not realize the balance of life and not putting the proper attention we talked about the new generations they put the right attention not being willing to share with my partner next time you know what i was dealing with because i thought i was saving them from enduring what i was dealing with but truly what i was doing is i was isolating them and they didn't feel like they could share my life with them in those aspects and, and it really was on me to be a better partner but again i wouldn't have the relationship i do today had i not gone through those things right and Again, you got to have the ability to go through those hard days and have that experience. And I look back at it now and I'm like, man, I'm really lucky where I ended up. But I'm humbled by people telling me flat out that they really appreciate watching my stuff or I connected with them and they found something that resonated for them.
0: The other thing that you're doing, I don't know if you give yourself credit for this. The whole reason I do the Productive Passions podcast is for people, including myself, who Want to do something different. And sometimes not knowing where to start or feeling like I can't, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough money, enough friends, enough fame, enough. I'm not good enough. I, and everybody I talk to says you go through it's almost this evolution of I'm not good enough. Hey, I could do this. Oh my gosh, I am doing this. And so I think one of the things that's important for people to know is. The people I'm talking to, they don't have it all figured out when they start. Yeah. I mean, if you're like me, like starting this podcasting thing, like I'm evolving. I know in a year from now, I'll go back and I'll go, but we have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. We have to give ourselves grace yep. and know that we don't have to be perfect and <laughs> <said>, start somewhere, <laughs> but be brave enough. I hope you recognize that you had to be brave enough to go Get on stage for two minutes.
1: Yeah, but comics are so self-critical. There's these attributes. I think they're amongst all comics. I can have the greatest set ever. And people are like, man, That was amazing. They're telling me this after st- comics to show people. What it, and in my head, I'm like, God, I was like, I did. I wasn't the greatest. Was, we're so critical, right? And I love you say you have to be brave, courageous, however you described it to go do it. I'm chuckling on because I'm thinking back to my dad. I have this ability to like, I am a visionary, so I'm one of the people who you want to give a, okay, this is what we want to do, but they don't have a vision of how they're going to get there. I can see things from the beginning to the end, and I don't, I'm not that personality. You know how the, I call them the blues, the accountants. Listen, we're going to get some spreadsheets in here. We're going to get that data in here. We're going to analyze. And then once we analyze it, we're going to analyze it again and maybe have a committee or two to go analyze certain sections of it. No, let me take, listen, get rid of the spreadsheets. Give me the bullet points. Let's go. But that took hustle and that took ingenuity and the ability to put yourself out there. And I think that's one thing I tell people is, they say, how did you start stand-up comedy? I'm like, you just got to go do it. And you got to be willing to eat it and go do all those shows that nobody else wants to do. Go to all those open mics where the only people that are sitting in the crowd are the comics that are waiting to go up on set. It's just the way it is.
0: And you talked about earlier being uncomfortable, that you're growing when you're uncomfortable. And I can't emphasize that enough because growth does happen. Outside of your comfort zone, and I don't yes. know who said that. I've read that, but it's so true. It's like almost in some of the things that I've done that were so outside of my comfort zone. It's almost just like a okay, one, two, three, go, and just force yourself to do it because number one, you might be successful. Right. But number two, one thing I find repeatedly are those worst case scenarios. That's what we put in our brain. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be embarrassed. Oh my gosh, it's going to. Do... It's always worse than what happens in real life. Somebody might tell you no, or maybe you do something really stupid, but that's the failure, if you want to use that word, to go back and study and look at how do I do it different so I can have a better outcome? Or maybe this isn't the right road. I need to relook at this. But if you never take that chance, if you never have that fear, that real discomfort, man, you just, you're going to live in a, a van down by the river, maybe?
1: Well, yeah, no, though, you're, you're making me laugh because you're thinking, like, remind me of my mom. Yeah, not that I'm trying to be like, listen, I know everything today that, like, when you bring up Columbus and stuff, things get a little bit weird, but my mom always has this say she's Columbus took a chance, right? He sailed across the ocean. My mom says that all the time. She's like, oh, Columbus took a chance. And I'm like, because, like, sometimes when I'm like worried about something, I already know, I already know that. In order to be successful, you got to risk things. You have to be willing to take a risk. That's it. And I'm not afraid to take that risk. But sometimes you get in your own head. And I tell people all the time, man, don't worry about what everybody else thinks. You can't worry about that. And I sometimes, I'm subject to being a human being. And sometimes I get in my own head. That's the thing that I struggle with the most is just not getting in my own way.
0: Right.
1: Not getting in my own way. Because, and I tell you, that's when Trina helps me out which is listen, the neuroses, put that shit on hold for a minute. We just, I need you to focus and just execute because sometimes I get so racked. You ever been like that, where you're so stressed about what it is that you can't take a step forward. You're just like, Oh my gosh, you don't want to make that move. You're afraid, right? You're safe. Sometimes you need to flip the pancake, right? You need to flip it over so the other side can get a little browning. Otherwise you're going to burn the other side. And if you wait too long, it's going to taste bad. So I'm always like, I got to get it. That's one of my weaknesses. Sometimes I just, I worry too much.
0: You get in it and you stay there and you stay there. The longer you stay there in that worry, the more grandiose these horrid outcomes, could
1: oh, come. for sure. That's that's why you don't diagnose. Like, yeah, don't go to Google and diagnose anything. All right, I'm just telling you right now. Don't because diagnose. at the
0: end of the day, you're just dying. Oh, <laughs>
1: so yeah. Hard. If you look on Google, if you look on Google, a hangnail will be death. Do not Google symptoms for anything on Google, because. I have already done that. I refuse. I tell people, don't do it.
0: You've died like seven times already, Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Seven times at least. Just today. Just today.
0: So, Vinny, what is your future? Are you going to retire from one or both jobs? What's going to happen with Vinny?
1: My goal is to retire from the agency, hopefully in the next few years. But I would love to take the comedy to the next level. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the Dave Chappelle's, the top tier, a list comics today, and like the one being the new talent comic who is just starting out on that scale, I would put myself somewhere between a three and a 3.5. Some people say, no, bro, you're what I'm between a three and a 3.5. In my mind, I would love to be at a 10 and I'm going to strive to have a Netflix special, and I'm going to strive to, I'm very proud that I have an Amazon special right now, but. I have so much more growth to happen in front of me, and I'm willing to take a bunch of opportunities. What I didn't realize is people have had me come out and speak on mental health aspects of my career, where I was at, Alone in the Canyon is what I've talked about that story. We haven't talked about it. What really was the changing point for me in my career that led me down the comedy path? All those things. So I'm speaking at conferences now on that. I'm doing comedy all over the country, and I just think there's a lot of room for me to grow to start giving back some of my experiences to other people. But you don't know what you don't know until you experience it. And I just didn't even realize, like, when you come from the public sector, there's no money, okay? When you're working as law enforcement, we're always scraping by to pay for new radars or pay for uniforms or whatever. There's not this abundance of money. And you certainly don't get bonuses as a police officer. My friends who are in the corporate world, are like, oh my gosh, you got this bonus. I'm like, oh my gosh, a bonus? Like we may get a gift card or something. But stepping into the world of comedy where now we're talking about corporate money and the things that I'm like, we're going to do what? And what's out there, like the money's not the driving factor, but you can survive outside of the public sector. It's a whole new world to me because I don't know what that's like to be in that kind of
0: Vinny, I could see you doing so many things from entertaining at corporate events to entertaining large groups of people. That's what I can see. If you could perform wherever with whoever you wanted, what would that look like?
1: Oh, wow. If you'd asked me that five years ago, I would have probably said somewhere here in Colorado. And maybe it will still be, but one of the things that I... Love and is part of my culture. I speak Spanish. I really forced myself. We didn't speak Spanish at home growing up. Both my parents are fluent. My dad was fluent, but I think they were trying to indoctrinate us into the world that we were growing up in. They grew up in Boulder, Colorado, which was a very predominantly white. It still is predominantly white. And I think they wanted us to assimilate, but we always had a strong traditional Mexican culture at home. And we were, my dad especially, I love Mexican music, conjunto music, Tejano music. And I love that vibe, but where I feel that the most is like in Texas. And when I go to San Antonio and you hear Emilio Nevada playing the radio or the Texas revolution and people who are watching this right now, I don't know what that is, but that's fine. To me, it has a very symbolic and a very meaningful background when I'm there. And when I'm doing my comedy, I'm relating, I'm talking about my mom or I'm talking about growing up in that traditional Mexican culture and I'm speaking Spanglish and not just straight up English. And the response I get from the crowd, it's amazing. Yeah. So I think that I would love to film my Netflix special in San Antonio. I would love to do it. My mom is from Laredo, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I think I really would like to do that only because I feel like I just need to be there. And whenever this show happens, it's going to happen one day. I want it to be where it's reflective of where I come from and my culture, but also Invite all the law enforcement people, all the first responder people, because we're going to talk about some dark humor and we're going to get into the nitty gritty and we're going to talk about a lot of things, but that's what I would love to do. And then aside from that, personally, I would love to be able to continue to create more relationships for youth with law enforcement. So I just don't think people get a chance to see cops in the true element of who they are. And what I mean by that is they only see them when they're responding to calls. Cops don't have a lot of time because of the call load and what's going on to really just sit there and hang out and play around with people, but they need to see the other side of it. So if I could do some things to help create that bridge, to help humanize the badge, I would love that opportunity. And I would love to do be able to do some shows that really benefited people who needed some help because there's a lot of people out there that are struggling. I get so many requests for people like, hey, can you share this? GoFundMe?" fund me. And I would totally like drown out all of my followers on social media if I sent everyone out. But just do some things that are giving back to create opportunities for other people. And I think the last thing is besides just being great to my mom and I took her with me on tour, she did this mountain tour like a year and a half ago, and I was getting done with shows and I acknowledged her during the show and I'm done. People are done meeting, and greeting with me, but there's a line still with her because she's meeting, and greeting everybody in the back. And it was so cool. My mom was so having such a good time, but a chance to really pick a few people who are trying to develop what they're trying to do in comedy or what they're trying to do in law enforcement and really help them develop themselves because I could not be where I'm at here today without people like Phil West and Rick Bruff and Sergeant Ross Martinez and Wayne Holverson and all these other people who took the time to give me a chance. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I made a lot of mistakes when I was a young person as an explorer. I even got arrested when I was an explorer for carrying it knife in my best. And oh yeah. But like I made some stupid decisions, but these people had the ability to show me grace and I paid the consequences. Oh, yes, I did. I had to go to court and I had to take a suspension from the cadet program and blah, 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 blah. But those people that let me the
0: You had to explain it to your mother.
1: I had to explain it to my mother, but she was ready to go down there and throw down because it was her meat hole. But I had to go through some of those experiences, right? Yeah. You don't get through life without any bumps. Nobody who gets to where they're at today gets there without any bumps.
0: So here's something that I want to point out. For any young people who are listening, part of growing up is making mistakes, is maturing. When you've done something stupid, acknowledge it, learn from it, and move on from it. But you can move on from it. Mm -hmm. And if you're surrounded by people who won't let you move on from it, then maybe you need to surround yourself with other people because there are people out there like Vinnie Montez, like Christy Tejie, who believe that you can make horrible mistakes, or you could start out having done some stupid stuff and still make something of yourself, not just make something of yourself, but be an example to other people. So I really hope that young people will listen to some of these stories and go, okay, I'm not so terrible. If this was stupid one day, maybe I'll laugh about it. But I can still become someone. That's so important.
1: That piece is important, but the biggest piece is just, you're going to make that mistake. But when you make the mistake, 100% ownership. I it's made hard. the mistake. But they gave me an out. The deputy saw me here. In that. He just, I was like, riding around exploring. hit me in the vest. I had this knife in my vest and punched me in the vest to make sure I had my vest. He's what's that? And I told him it was knife. He gave me a way out. He said, "Well, you don't have to say anything. And you just don't do it again. Or you go tell your advisor what happened and take what comes. And I said, take me back to the headquarters, Justice Center. And I went and found my advisor and I told him what happened. And I had to take the lumps for it. But what I didn't realize is sometimes there's these tests that happen in life. That officer still was going to say what happened. But he was giving me an opportunity to show my character. Own it completely. And I'm telling you, I've had to sit there and own a lot of stuff in my career. And I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, nothing with a bad heart, but I made some serious mistakes and I crashed some cars <laughs> on duty. I can laugh at now. It wasn't funny then. Let me tell you right now. I bit some letters in my file, but I tell my sergeants today, I tell the officers today, the deputies, listen, if you're going to get in this job, you're going to take some dents to your armor. You're not going to get through this set without any scratches. But just own that piece of it. Understand that when you get called on the carpet, you take that, but chalk it up to a good experience for you learning something and walk away from it. And then what you said was absolutely paramount is once you've gone through it, my mom always says, and I know it's cliche, it's water under a bridge. You got to move forward because if you Mm -hmm. still keep going back to that, it's not going to serve you any good besides understanding you learned from that experience.
0: If somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do you? There's multiple
1: ways. 911 is typically a good start.
0: I here and now, they're going to be like, Christy KG, Vinnie Montez, get down yeah. here now.
1: There's a lot of ways. So everything is just my name. Vinnie Montez, V-I-N-I-E Montez, M-O-N-T-E-Z. And that's uh, com. That's Vinnie Montez on Facebook, TikTok, Snap, Twitter, Google, Gram, whatever you're following. It's just my name. And then uh, if you want to reach out to me to perform, uh, you can go to my website and say book Vinnie and Mike Rafferty with CWE will contact you, my agent, Okay, and they'll work everything out, him and Jonathan. Madison will work everything out. Yeah, I'm really lucky. I've got a great team that I'm working with. So I'm very happy that I got to meet you and be on your show today. And I'm oh also God. just excited for the fact that I got a little therapy today talking about my dad. I feel a lot better. My day's actually better now that I've talked to you. It's actually a lot better.
0: That means so much to me. And thank you for sharing your dad with me. I think if I could have met him We would have sat around and laughed a lot.
1: Yeah. You're going to get to see him and meet him a little bit indirectly during this documentary. I'm freaking out because everything in my life basically is fair game. And photos, old video, it's the the montage of everything. So all my friends, family, and they got carte blanche to say whatever they want, including my better half. And I was like, this is seriously. Yike. Yeah, I
0: know. Vinny, you're getting the the house to come back after. We're going to have to, this is the before we're okay. going to have to have the Vinny after.
1: Yeah. We'll have to see. I might be in hiding at that point. Nobody knows.
0: No, you're going to be so big. You won't have time to talk with me again.
1: I've always been big. I don't know what you're referring to. Like people, I don't think anybody's ever described me as small. I'm sorry. I, can't have, I got two shows tonight. I'm getting in my, I'm starting to get the juices flowing. Good. I'm opening for Caroline Ray and I, I'm so, pro- this is the second time I've been able to open for her and it's wow, cool. it's going to be great. Yep.
0: Wow. Thank you for taking time today to talk with me and to talk with our guest. And man, I've got a page full of things that you've said that are so important. And I'll share a lot of that in show notes and share how to reach you in our show notes. So if people want to get a hold of you or book you, they'll know how to do that. Sure. Vinny Montez, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.